Welcome to the Church for All Nations podcast, streaming live from Tacoma, Washington. We're so excited you joined us today. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Week seven! Wow, it was fast. Was it fast for you guys? It was fast for me. Before we dive into the word, I promised you that they would be here. My parents are here and I want them to stand up and wave to everybody. My mom, Barbara, and my father, Lamar. They are my heroes. And any good in me is the Holy Spirit in them. (laughs) I can promise you. Um, I'm so excited for tonight. And if you're brand new, we're so glad that you're here. And there's many, many women that have been fasting and praying about tonight and about what God's going to do. But we're going to go back to this anchor verse, and we're going to complete this section. Now, if you're reading in an actual Bible app or um, the paper Bibles, (laughs) old school, you'll see that I'm going to dive into the next section if your Bible has headers. Because how many of you know that these actual gospels and letters didn't have headers? (laughs) Those were added later. And so I think the separation of our amazing, well-meaning translators, I think they missed it on this one. And I'll show you why. We're going to start at Ephesians 6. Same verses, starting in verse 10. Finally, remember... Paul is saying, after everything I've told you, this is the big deal. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Well, Paul, how do we do that? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For some of you, that might be a new thought. You thought that your, your only struggles in life and in the world were just the physical ones that you could see. And this is a brand new idea. Therefore, he says again, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and we always say when, because it does come, you may be able to stand your ground. And after everything, you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness, readiness, that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And then we're going to verse 18. Because if you look, verse 18 starts with and. How many of you know that's a connecting word? It's not but. It's not in other news. It is a connecting word. So that tells me very specifically that this is part of your armor. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. JF and I had the amazing opportunity this past summer to preach each night at a Young Life family camp at their big camp in Malibu, Canada. Have you guys ever been there, anybody? It is one of the most exquisite, most incredible places we've ever been, and we've been to some pretty phenomenal places. And our children to this day still call it heaven. Can we please go live there in heaven, Malibu? It's an amazing camp that has a long history, and we had an incredible time. They had us, they had us stay, all, us and the two kids, all week long in this beautiful type of lodge that had um, kind of, uh, gosh, duplex-type rooms. It's hard to explain. And we walked in, and it was so nice. It had a queen bed and then a bathroom and then the twin beds for the kids, but no kitchen, which was okay. I assumed it wouldn't be a full kitchen. So I had brought a cooler. And if you know our family, Fulton only drinks almond milk. And even though he's four, he still calls it his baba. It's very weird. And, uh, and he needs the almond milk. We can tell, Miss Joan can tell you in the preschool, if Fulton gets cranky, that's how you fix him right? You just give him an entire sippy full of almond milk and he is good to go. And I can tell you, I never go anywhere without a cooler of almond milk. Amen? Yes. That, you can see it's a Seahawks Coleman cooler. I got it with me all the time. And so we get to Malibu and because I knew there is no grocery store there, there's no leaving the island at all. So I had to bring all of the almond milk with me for the entire week. And I walk into the room and realize there's no refrigerator. So JF and I, literally, I'm not kidding, three times a day would walk across the entire camp and get bags full of ice and trek them back and fill that one tiny cooler just to keep enough milk cold for my sweet boy Fulton. On our last night there... He's laughing because it really is ridiculous. <laughs> On our last night there, we were walking back to our room and we noticed that there was a light in a larger room that was above us. Never mind you that there's a beautiful pamphlet that I could have read about everything on the grounds. Didn't really want to do that. And my husband and I look at each other in the eyes and we go, no way. Not possible. And we walk up those stairs to the most beautiful kitchen you have ever seen. With double refrigerators for everyone in the whole compound, in, the, in our rooms to use, an oven where we could have made everything, microwaves, lounge, everything at our disposal. And we were sick to our stomach, and what did I tell you? I'll use it for a sermon. 
said, that's the only reason. I know the Lord allowed us to go all week long hauling bags of ice two and three times a day across the entire campground. When all the while upstairs was the most extravagant, literally my dream kitchen, upstairs, fully available to me. Actually prepared for me. Ordained for me. And yet, I didn't access it. Why? Because I didn't know. And that has been my fear for you all week. Is that this last passage of scripture that our translators have separated from the full armor of God, that you wouldn't go and read that next passage. That you wouldn't understand that praying in the spirit is quite possibly the most powerful weapon that you have in your arsenal. And not only is it available to you, it's already been ordained for you. It's already been given to you. It is there waiting. And yet some of us will live this life hauling bags of ice and wondering why everybody else isn't having to haul bags of ice across the campground. And yet their kids with allergies have exactly what they need. (laughs) It's fully available to you. God has it for you, marked for power for you. So, Ashley, what is praying in the Spirit? I'm so glad you asked. Romans 8, starting in verse 26, says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. How many of you have been there? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Man, I've been there. Praying. I was there this afternoon praying at this altar for you. And all I could do was groan and cry, which is why my eyes are puffy right now. Literally, Stephanie walked in, and I think she was scared for a second. What happened? Wordless groans. Sometimes that's all the Holy Spirit wants to pray through you. And verse 27 says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I had a lady ask me the other day, well, why would I need to pray in the Spirit? And I said, because God knows things that you couldn't possibly know. And you know what? God will have you praying for things that really you don't want to know. You don't want to know that last night when you prayed in the Spirit, it was so that 18-wheeler wouldn't hit you today on your way here. There are some things we don't want to know, but we do want interceded for. Verse 28, and we know, here, here, I'm going to stop here. I told you guys my pet peeve. Anybody remember the toilet paper? Yes, always. And my other pet peeve is what? When people don't complete a thought in scripture and they just take one scripture out of context. Well, I have heard my whole life, all things work together for the good, right? But there's so many parts to that. 
So many parts. And I love that that scripture is attached to this idea of praying in the Spirit. So we just read about how the Spirit prays through us, and this verse 28 says, and we know, and we know. It's a connecting word. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What if that is only when we allow the Spirit to pray through us? Why else would the Lord attach it to that? Just a thought. Praying in the Spirit. Ephesians 6, we just read it. I just want it to stay fresh in your minds that this is part of the armor of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about three areas. If you're taking notes, I hope you're taking notes. Please take notes. Three areas that you need to understand about this powerful weapon of praying in the Spirit. The first area that you want to write down is you are called to fight for your people. You. You are called to fight for your marriage. You are called to fight for your children. You are called to fight for your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers. You are called to fight for your people. Not the pastor. Not your small group leader. Not your counselor. Now, we all want to link arms with you and help you fight for your people. But you are called to lead that charge. You are called to fight for your people. And tonight, we're going to look at a battle in Judges. And I love this battle. It's really exciting. But you can't understand the battle without understanding what's taken place before the battle. So when you go home tonight, make sure you read Judges 6. But I'm going to catch you up for the sake of time. In Judges 6, we find that Israel has blatantly done evil in the eyes of the Lord. Blatantly. And the Lord loves Israel so much that he actually sends a prophet to warn them, don't worship pagan idols. Worship only me. And Israel doesn't listen. And so what does God do? He says, okay, I'm going to let you have what you want. He actually hands them over to the choices that they made. And some of us in our lives right now are walking through things that we think we're being punished by God, and God is not punishing you. Some of it is that he actually is giving you what you ask for. He's saying, look, I don't want this for you, but you keep going back to him. So here. And then what happens? Then we're worried, well, why isn't what I'm doing productive? Why isn't what I'm doing successful? Why aren't I seeing the fruits of the Spirit in my life? And the Lord has said, you didn't choose me. So we see this with Israel, and what's happening, if you read through Judges 6, they are toiling. They are working harder than they've ever worked, and yet everything gets stolen by the enemy. Everything. Attack, 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 attack. Over and over and over. And yet, 
Oh, we serve a redemptive God that chases us with his mercy. And look at what happens. The Lord sends an angel to appear to a man named Gideon. And we pick up in Judges 7, starting in verse 12. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love Gideon's response. I'm sorry. Pardon me? Mighty warrior? Yeah, no. And Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. And maybe that's you today. You feel like the Lord's abandoned you. Whether it's because of things that you've done or the people around you or maybe just sheer attack of the enemy, it feels like the Lord has abandoned you. But he is, I say again, the God of redemption. And look at what the Lord says to him. In verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. You go. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What is God saying? Oh, I haven't abandoned you. You are my plan. You are exactly the plan that I have to redeem all of Israel. And so some of you feel abandoned by the Lord. You feel rejected by the Lord. And he's going, what are you talking about? You're the plan I have to save your whole family. You. You're who I place there. You're who I'm speaking to. You are who I'm calling to fight for your people. Verse 15. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? That would be your response too, right? It would be mine. Lord, what do you mean I'm your plan? That's a terrible plan. You don't want me as your plan? No, get somebody awesome, not me. Gideon says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. Most of you feel this way. The Lord answered, and I prophetically speak that he is saying this over each and every one of you. I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. God then goes into speaking to Gideon specifically about what he is supposed to do. And I believe this is for each and every one of us. He speaks to Gideon and he says, go and get a bull from your father's herd. And you're going to sacrifice this bull to me. Why? Out of repentance. And then I want you, after you get the bull, I want you to take down those pagan idols. Tear them down. And you're going to actually use that to build an altar to me. To worship me with that bull. 
What is he speaking to? Generational curses. And some of you in this room know a little bit about that. If you're new to this church thing, generational curses are things that we see running in families, right? We see either specific sicknesses or specific sins that often will repeat itself, and that is scriptural. But in Jesus' name, every one of them can be broken from your life. And the key to breaking those is exactly what the Lord is speaking to Gideon right now. Tear down those idols. And you make those idols, those thoughts, those actions, you make them worship me. And I love that God doesn't say just sacrifice the bull on something temporary. No, no, no. He says you're to repent. And you, you know what? I believe God had Gideon repent for all of the people. And maybe that's what you have to do tonight. Not because God's putting those sins on you, but because you want to see that curse broken off of your family. Maybe tonight at the altar, you will repent for generations of people that did things that you know are not godly so that your children won't have to deal with it. And here's the beauty of it, though. That altar that was built was built for a habit of worship and a reminder of worship. So not only is it repentance, it is proclaiming over your family what the truth of God's word says and then putting new habits of worship and looking to God in place of those. Generational curses, real, real thing. Gideon was obedient. And because he was obedient, Scripture says, go read it tonight. Scripture says that the Spirit of God came on Gideon. It was different then for the Spirit of God to come on someone. We now believe, and we're going to talk about it in a second, because of what Jesus did on the cross, and he sent the Holy Spirit, that if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in each and every one of you. But in the Old Testament, Scripture says that because he was obedient, the Spirit of God came on Gideon. And every time that you repent and turn to Jesus, this happens to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of the living and eternal God inside of you. You are his temple. You are called to fight for your people. Gideon is just like us, and that's part of why I love this story, because in the middle of all of this, he's got a lot of doubts. Like, not only, Lord, I'm not the right guy, I'm super weak, this is not my thing, you want someone else. But he also starts doubting that he's even heard from the Lord. How many of you have been there? Hello, yeah. And so he goes to the Lord and says, God, I, I need some sort of sign. And so he has this whole process of laying out fleece and asking God to put the dew on the fleece, and then the next time doing the dew on the grass instead of the fleece. And everyone in the community, I think, is watching this going, what is he doing? But the Lord does it. The Lord answers him. And Gideon begins to get some confidence and that's where our next point comes from. 
Because what happens is all those people watching him and the fact that Gideon finally has confidence, he starts to rally the people and tell them what the Lord told him. We're going to fight the Midianites and we're going to slaughter them all. Not one is going to remain. Come on, follow me. And he gets a pretty awesome army to me together of 32,000 men to fight. And I would imagine that he's feeling pretty good about it until he walks to the battlefield and realizes that the enemy has 135,000 men. Lord, what are you doing? And that's where we pick up Judges 7, verse 2. It's going to be our next point. The Lord said to Gideon, imagine this. You and 32,000 men staring at 135,000 men. Scripture says that there were more camels than they could even count. Sands in the sea, right? There were so many camels. And the Lord says this. Gideon, you have too many men. I'm sorry, what? This thing isn't on. I have too many men? The Lord says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. They would say, my own strength has saved me. And that's the next point. Your strength can actually be a hindrance. Let that sink in for a second. Your strength can be one of your greatest hindrances. Some of you are so bound by how you see yourself. It's how Tammy displayed up here earlier in those early moments. You're so bound by, I'm too weak, Lord. I'm too, all of these things. And you assume that because you've sinned or because you're weak or because you see yourself as lowly, you assume that that disqualifies you from being used of God. And it doesn't. But do you know what might disqualify you from being used by God is your strength. What are you talking about? The moment you start to believe, oh, I'm smart enough. I can probably do this. I, I'm holy enough. I got this, Lord. I'm talented enough. I think I can lead worship without you, Jesus. Let's just... The second that you start believing that you by yourself are enough, boom, that disqualifies you from the power of God. Why? Look at what Scripture says. I just want you to look at it again. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. You serve a God that calls himself jealous. Well, what does that mean? That means you serve a God that wants you to need him. You serve a God that wants you to need him. And there are situations in your life that he will put in place so that you are reminded just how much you need him. 
Because he wants you to wake up every morning and not look to your phone, not look to your bank account, not even look to your spouse. He wants you to wake up every morning looking to him first. And the moment you step away from that and think that you can do it in and of yourself, you're disqualified from his power. What have you started to try and do in and of yourself? That the Lord said, I want to do this for you. But you've been telling me you got it. And so I'm giving you what you asked for. The Lord told him, you have too many men. And the Apostle Paul said something about this in the exact same vein. Paul liked to talk about his weaknesses a lot. And I love that because I feel like I can relate to that because there's nobody that feels weaker at times in this room than I do. Can I say that to you guys? In fact, my parents end up being some of the people that I call crying in those moments of sheer weakness. And do you know that God is just so faithful? He is just so faithful. The Apostle Paul talked about his weakness. And in this reference, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 12. He's talking about what he calls the thorn in his flesh. And that's a churchy term for a deep rooted weakness that he had. And scripture says in verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord told him this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, I want you to underline the word power. Because that word is my outward display of my ability. It comes from the Greek word that we actually get dynamite from. My power, the outward display of who I am, said the Lord, is made perfect in your weakness. What? Do you guys have a hard time wrapping your mind around that? I do too. The Lord is saying that the outward display of who I am and how incredible I am, my power, is actually fully seen when you are your weakest. How many in this room love Bob Ross? My husband and I love Bob Ross. When we can't sleep, sometimes we'll put him on. If you don't know who Bob Ross is, for you younger folks, he's old school PBS in the 80s, and he has, he's a white dude with a fro, and hippie, and he looks like medicated happy. You know what I'm saying? Just happy all the time. But like not in a creepy way, but like kind of, but you kind of crave it. And he paints. He does paint. But like he does these paintings, and you can go home tonight and fall asleep to Bob Ross on YouTube, you know? If I could get Bob Ross quoting scripture while he painted, I'd be done. Yes, Lord, make it happen. It's like the most peaceful you can get. No, but what I love about his paintings is that he'll start, and when he first starts, you have no idea what he's painting, right? You're like, what? How is that going to turn into some magical landscape? It just looks like weird blobs. 
But as he continues and he continues, all of a sudden there's this moment that it becomes visible. Oh, that's the most beautiful meadow with mountains in the back and a small tiny lake. And that's what God is saying here. He's saying right now you're just seeing things as this weird blob and you're not seeing the fullness of who I am. But the second you're, you're weakest, the second that you say, Lord, I cannot do this in and of myself, the second you get to that point, the Lord says, then you'll be able to see. You'll be able to see how much I love you. You will be able to see how much I will take the battle and fight it for you. You'll be able to see just how full and complete my power is for and in you. But that's only seen when you're at your very weakest. So the enemy has 135,000 men. And at this point, Gideon has 32,000. And guess what? Still, God comes back and says, too many. And so what the Lord has him do is weed out. He starts this process of weeding out Gideon's army. And at first he says, everybody that's afraid, tell them to go home. You guys aren't even ready for this. 22,000 men leave. That's a bad day. You thought you had 32,000 and then 22,000 leave and you were standing there with 10,000 and they're all looking at each other going, this dude is crazy. And you're staring at 135,000 men. And the Lord says, still too many. And he goes in this weird process of having them drink water, and he, he weeds them out according to how they drank the water, and you can read it tonight. But Gideon ends up with 300 men. You thought your odds were bad. 300 against 135,000. Why does this matter? Because your strength is possibly your greatest hindrance. And in the moments that seem impossible, God says, "Woo! this is when I like to work. Yes, because nobody can say it was their ninja skills that got them through this one. This is 300 against 135,000. Watch me do my thing. But just like us, Gideon got terrified all over again. Wouldn't you be terrified? I'm sorry. Like, I would have been terrified at 32,000, but now we're 300. Gideon's terrified, and the Lord is so faithful. And he uses yet another spiritual gift. He has Gideon over here, a dream, and its interpretation. In that moment, Gideon says, we're ready. We're ready. We're going to do this. And then he starts gathering all of the men together. They're ready to step into what God has for them. Look with me, Judges 7, verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, 
The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And here's what's wild. Then he divides the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. If you have your Bibles, underline. He placed trumpets, empty jars in the hands of all of them, and the jars had torches, flames inside of them. My last point for you on my last night of This Is War is you decide what to do with his invitation. As the band comes back, I want to repeat it again. You decide what to do with his invitation. Now, most of my life, I have heard the Holy Spirit described as a gentleman. And what does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit doesn't do something inside of you that you aren't open to him doing. He's not going to force himself onto someone. And I believe that that's true. But usually along with that explanation comes something along the lines of the Holy Spirit is just waiting for your invitation. And I'm going to venture to say that that's wrong. Because the Holy Spirit is the invitation. The Holy Spirit is the reason that you're here tonight. The Holy Spirit is the invitation into everything that he has for you. He's already extended the invitation. He's waiting on your response. And he wants to know what you're going to do with his invitation. I have an illustration that a pastor friend of mine used, and I loved it, so I'm stealing it. You guys cool with that? My mom and dad can tell you I have never been a milk drinker. I personally love dairy. Dairy doesn't love me. Anybody with me? So I've never been a milk drinker, and I've also never been a chocolate milk drinker. But for this illustration, I have white whole milk with chocolate syrup that I put in earlier today. And guess what happened? The syrup settled to the bottom. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for some time. And you remember those first experiences with the Holy Spirit, don't you? You remember experiencing his power and how exciting that was. And you don't remember experiencing that recently. Or maybe you have been walking with the Lord and you never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. This illustration is for you. Because you see, the milk is us. And the syrup that I still can't believe got FDA approval, we'll call that the Holy Spirit. Because when you and I say yes to Jesus, 
Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. The Holy Spirit resides inside of you, but guess what? He's waiting for you to stir him up. He's just waiting for you to stir him up. Ashley, what does that mean? That means that you invite him to flavor every single part of your life. You invite his flavor, his power into every part of who you are, every part of who you were, every relationship, every experience. He's just waiting for you. He's extended that invitation. And he says, will you do it? How do you stir him up? You worship. You worship. You make yourself open and available to whatever he wants to do in and through you. But I want to show you something else. Because some of us get caught up with this vessel thing. Because some of us don't really think the Holy Spirit wants to use us because our cup looks like this and our neighbor's cup looks like this. But I want to show you what the Holy Spirit shown me today. What's so incredible, and I even, what's so incredible is that the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. I'm not even kidding. It, it was hours ago. And he said, once a vessel is open to what I want to do, guess what? Overflow is the same. Whether you're a big vessel or a large vessel, you need to hear this. Let it sink in. A big vessel that's open will overflow the same amount as a small vessel as long as it stays open. Guess who decides how much they're going to overflow? The source. Do you see what I'm talking about? The only thing that keeps the Holy Spirit from flowing out of your life is when you close off to him. But as long as your vessel remains open, as long as you are open to what he wants to do, it doesn't matter if your vessel is big or it seems small, he determines the overflow. How many of you are ready to be open to his power? He wants to flow in you, friends. He wants to flow out of you. He wants his power to be evident in every part of your life. But I'm going to tell you, you know, I spoke earlier about our strengths can often be our hindrance. And I got to be honest, I've always been pretty good at school. And so I guess people in academics would call me smart. It just meant I knew how to I knew how to ace the test pretty easily, right? So if you call my brain my strength, guess what? Whew! If it's not reined in, it's my weakness. So when I was in high school and had my first experience with the Holy Spirit, and I spoke in tongues, I prayed in the Spirit. And if you're new to this, all that means is that I literally allowed the Holy Spirit to pray through me. 
And for me, it sounds something a little bit like And it's different every day, and it's different for every person. But the first time I prayed in the Spirit, I remember I came home from church camp. My parents can tell you. And I battled that Gideon doubt. Like, that was me. That was totally me. I made that up, right? That was, that couldn't have been the Lord. And I want to show you because this is going to set some of you free tonight. I grew up in the country. It's where my parents still live. And in the country, when you're outside and you're thirsty, you turn on the spigot, right? And you drink out of the water hose. Now, when you first turn the water hose on, guess what? The water tastes a little bit more like hose than it does the spring that it came from. Do you hear what I'm saying? So maybe tonight, if it's your very first time praying in the Spirit, it might sound a little bit more like Sarah than the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. Because you know what? The more it flows through that hose, guess what? It starts tasting just like the source. And your prayer life is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. The more you pray in the Spirit, the more you allow the Spirit to flow through you with His giftings, with visions, with prophetic words, with words of knowledge, the more you allow Him to flow through you, the more it will seem purely of the source and less of you. And so you need to be released from that burden tonight because he wants to do something powerful for each and every one of you. I want to leave you with this and then we're going to pray. Acts 1 and verse 8 is the very last thing that Jesus said here on earth. How many of you know that last words are a pretty big deal? And what did Jesus say? He said, you will receive power, Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to just sit in the church comfy folding chair? No. To just sit at home and watch church online? No. To just enjoy Hillsong in the comfort of my car, but never really, no. You're going to receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which means your city, right? In Judea and Samaria, in your region, and to the ends of the earth. This power is for you. It is the same power that took Peter, a coward. Peter that had walked with Jesus. He had even walked on water with Jesus. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, as a coward, not understanding what's going on, Peter denies the Lord three times. It takes that coward when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, and that coward becomes so bold that he's the evangelist that gives the sermon on the day of Pentecost. That's what the Holy Spirit will do.
power, power that is meant for you, power tonight. I want to read for you what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, starting in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I want to stop there for a second because some of you are expecting God to come down in some sort of weird UFO and shake the whole place and maybe there's an alien that will show up and you will be knocked out and I don't know, God can do whatever he wants. But here... How many of you know that those violent storms came about pretty often in the Middle East? So there's part of this that was somewhat familiar. And so I don't want you to miss that because just because something seems a little bit familiar doesn't mean it's not God. And tonight, the enemy will try to talk you out of a million things. It's not the Lord. It's not the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand that just because an element of it is familiar does not mean it's not God working. Man, I'm getting excited. Verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Don't forget that. Tongues of fire. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. I want you to make this connection because the Lord showed me this week how Gideon was able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and win this entire battle. Look at Judges 7. Verse 19, they blew their trumpets. And look at this. They broke the jars that were in their hands. What was in the jars? The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches of fire in their left hands, holding in their right hands the trumpet. They were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Scripture goes on to explain that all of the armies that were encamped to defeat Gideon actually fought each other and they all died while Gideon didn't lose one man. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what had to get out of the way. What are you talking about? For Gideon to access the power of the Holy Spirit, I need you to look at what had to get out of the way and what had to be broken. Those jars of clay. How many of you know that 2 Corinthians 4 says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing what? Power is from God and not from us. You and I are jars of clay. And the Lord says, the invitation's there. I'm already inside of you if you're a Jesus follower. 
you got to stir me up. Sometimes it means this jar of clay has to get out of the way. Sometimes it means that I need to break before the Lord and just be broken before Him, allowing Him and His Holy Spirit fire like the tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost to resonate through this broken vessel. And that's what He wants to do for you tonight. The enemy fought me hard this week. And even this morning, I woke up and I was battling this crazy fear. Lord, what, what if I missed you? I've been telling these women that you're going to do something powerful in their lives. What if I missed you, Lord? And the Holy Spirit, in his sweetness, said, remember that the day of Pentecost Pentecost means 50. It's the 50th day. And he said, the Holy Spirit fell on day 49. Ladies, we're in the last day of a seven-week series. This is the 49th day. And so if you have any doubt in your mind, the Holy Spirit wants to move in you and through you tonight. You have to decide what you're going to do with the invitation. My first experience with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, my second, because I walked through that whole downing period. And I remember I walked into a church in Georgia called Free Chapel. My sister attended there and I remember walking in and I heard the pastor say something about the Holy Spirit and immediately I was like I don't want to be here I don't want to be here I don't want to hear a sermon about that I don't want any part of it and by the middle of the sermon I was sobbing in the back sobbing and I remember at the altar call I got angry with the Lord because the pastor said I want men at the altar first, and I got livid. I'm like, I'm so ready to get to this altar. I need you, Lord. I want more of you. God, I cannot do another day without your power inside of my life. And he finally called for everyone else. And the pastor's mom, her name is Miss Katie, unbelievable woman of God, saw me running. And I was running to get her to pray for me. And she stepped back and she said, sweetheart, the Holy Spirit's all over you. You pray, nobody's touching you. And in that moment, I fell to my knees and started praying in tongues. And in that moment, I knew the Lord could never, the enemy could never take what the Lord had given to me in that night. And I want that for each and every one of you. And that's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come forward. And you're going to be on your knees. You're going to be on your face. If you want to lay on the ground, if you want to jump around, whatever you want to do, this is between you and the Lord. Nobody's going to pray for you right now. This is you and Him. And He, I know, if you are open, regardless of the size that you think your vessel is, if you will be open to Him, if you will be open to what he wants to do through you, 
He will move mightily in you tonight. Bow your heads. Father, I ask right now, Lord, you know we've been fasting and praying, God, for this moment. Lord, we want more of you. God, we don't want to do anything without your power, without your spirit. Lord, we want whatever it is you have for us. God, stir that hunger. Stir that hunger in every single one of us, whether we've been walking with you for 20 years or if we've just said yes to you right now in this moment. And if that's you and you don't know him right now, just say, yes, Lord, I want you. I want everything you have for me. I give you my sin and my shame and I want everything that is you. I'm yours and you are mine. Lord, I ask right now that you would speak so clearly to every sister I have in this room. Lord, that you would impart your power over every single girl, woman, lady, female, however you term it, and yourself. In Jesus' name, Lord, I ask that you would give them gifts of your spirit, Lord. That they would begin to pray, Lord, in the spirit. And if they're doubting it, Lord, help them to just be open and to start to speak it out. Lord, I ask that you would give them dreams. You would give them visions. You would give them prophetic words. Lord, that you would give them the gift of healing. Lord, there will be people in this place that will know specific people to pray for. And God, you will miraculously heal them, Lord. God, we ask for your gifts. We don't want to do ordinary anymore. We were not created for ordinary. Help us to get out of the way and pursue you. Do it tonight, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel. For more content and to connect with us, go to cfan.church. 